Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon and Jack Fitzpatrick. How are you? He is here. <laughs> Thank you for introducing me in a relatively normal way. I remember, was it last week or two weeks ago when you're like, introducing yeah, I'm trying to make him weird now. We need to bring on a guest soon again. Well, we go. We're getting stale. Yeah, we are getting stale. Sorry to everyone out there listening. Um, but it's now basketball season. Oh, I was going to, I had something. What do you know what TMZ stands for? No. These are the questions I ask myself as we're getting ready to, like, record. But that was a question I was going to ask you to start this off. I also had another question for you, and... Oh, crap. What was it? Whatever. What does TMZ stand for? Uh, It's 30 Mile Zone. It stands after the historic Uh, studio zone at the intersection of West Beverly Boulevard and North La Cienga Boulevard. Duh. Rick, I had a question. Whatever. Okay, let's just jump into it. Okay. It was a funny <laughs> question. It, it didn't have anything to do. Oh, do you pay Dak Prescott or do you franchise tag him? That's a good question. I feel like they're probably going to pay him, right? I don't know. I'm hearing reports now, like today, that they don't want to pay him. Or they want to wait. He's, he's not bad. People are people rag on him. He's actually pretty decent. I don't know that he's. I mean, he's not like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, but he's but not would, like Jimmy Garoppolo either. There are worse options. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo. Worse options. Jimmy G is. Yeah, he's not really. Did you the best? So it was like two hundred plus pass attempts between Joe Montana, Steve Young, and Colin Kaepernick. And mm-hmm. they combined through one interception. It was Colin Kaepernick in 2012, in I think it was. Yeah, in a Super Bowl. And then on 31 pass attempts, Jimmy G threw two picks. It wasn't even that bad. He's just not like – he's not going to lead you to a Super Bowl. He's like you have to have the defense the Niners had. You have to have the running game the Niners had. And then he's like suitable to win. He's Trent Dilfer, That's but a little better. 
He's better than Trent Dilfer. Yeah, a, li- a little better. Trent Dilfer, but a little better. I would say he's above league average. I would take Jimmy G over at least half a league. That's my All take. Right. Yeah, I, I guess. I lost a lot of money in the Super Bowl, so I'm a little upset, but it's fine. Well, let's move to... <laughs> you want to start with men's basketball, I guess? I mean, that's what the outline says, and we're not allowed to stray from the outline. It's very so... true, very true. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting week. There's been a lot going on in the sports world, the Super Bowl, things like that. Um, so, kind of hard to pay attention at sometimes to the middle of these like JMU sports here as football is winding down. Spring sports haven't started yet, and you've got just like you know the middle of CAA play. I think a lot of fans <laughs> tune out. Understand two and nine, exactly. So I watched JMU play Thursday live in Harrisonburg. They lost by nineteen. You were covering <laughs> the game doing some social for it. It was on CBS Sports Network. Uh, they lost that by 19. Then they were stayed at home, played UNCW, and won by 17. So they're 2-0 against UNCW and 0-9 against the rest of the CAA. I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is, like, going to spark a run. But just watching them in person, like, it's not a particularly good team. No, and I watched Thursday's game because I had to. And then mm-hmm. I put money on the JMU-UNCW game. <laughs> On Saturday, and it was on Matazone, so I had it up on my computer while I was doing work, and I, I was watching it pretty closely, probably closer than – I probably shouldn't say that. Um, but I was watching the JMU game, and it was really a tale of two teams between Thursday and Saturday. And no, I'm not saying that the team we saw Saturday is the team we're going to see for the rest of the way out. Um, they'll probably go back to the average and be what they were Thursday night. But on Saturday, great ball movement, open shots. Matt wasn't forcing shots. Like, the team looked really, really good on Saturday. Um, They did have a little bit of a lull where UNCW, I think, cut the lead from, like, 16 to 12 and then had a wide-open three and missed it. And then from there, it was all JMU. That was about at the probably, like, 11 to 8-minute mark um, in the second half. Um, and that was when I was kind of thinking, wow, this is, it's going to happen again. They're going to get their heads down. UNCW is making a charge back. And then they just kind of slammed the door. But, man, Thursday, they just look terrible. Yeah, I mean, the main thing for me, just looking at the box score, is um, both UNCW and JMU shot similar percentages across the board. Both teams were really similar in terms of rebounds. But you look at turnovers, which is an area where JMU struggles at times. JMU had 13 assists to just seven turnovers. UNCW had seven assists and 21 turnovers. So the Dukes won the game by taking care of the ball. And like you were saying, there was good ball movement. They were moving the ball around, had good offense. Two players, Banks and Parker, both had four steals. Matt Lewis had three. So, I mean, defensively, they were good. They didn't turn the ball over too much. They only had seven turnovers, and four of those came from Dwight Wilson. (laughs) So, right, the guards were, were really, really good in this game. So I think that's valuable. You look at Parker, Lewis, nine assists to two turnovers. Like, if they're able to do anything like that in coming games, yeah, they can certainly win even without shooting the lights out. That's certainly a recipe for success. But my only concern, and I guess reason to pump the brakes at times, is just, you know, UNCW is pretty bad. Um, so two wins over UNCW doesn't mean too, too much. But you look, this, we've said it before, the schedule the rest of the way is not that hard because the conference isn't that hard. Like, there are chances <laughs> to win games <laughs> – I mean, I think they're locked into one of the bottom four seeds pretty firmly. Like, they'll be playing on the first day of the conference tournament. Um, but you hope that you can get out of maybe the 10th spot. Yeah. Just for, for yeah. mental health. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, just yeah. to feel better about yourself. 
Yeah, and in no way am I saying like the Saturday game is what we're going to see right. for the rest of the way because we've seen flashes of what we saw Saturday throughout the season where you're like, oh, they're going to turn the corner. I mean, a 10-point win over ECU, just scrolling through it, a blowout win against Charleston Southern, and both of those games you saw flashes of good, and then they just go back to playing how they did. I don't know what it is. But I have a feeling for the rest of the way out, we'll see a mix of what we saw Thursday and Saturday because it really was a tale of two different games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and some of it's obviously the opponent and some of it's Jamie playing better, especially defensively. I think that's really the main thing for me is when they play decent defense, that's huge. You give up 87 points to anybody, especially the College of Charleston, you're probably going to lose that game. Give up 82 to Elon, 88 to William & Mary. Like, you're not going to win – many games even going at jmu's tempo when you're giving up 80 plus in all yeah. these games and not and most of them are easy baskets and that's where i think uncw probably didn't have as many easy baskets um and jmu was was more active defensively so it's good it's a good sign but i mean at the end of the i don't even remember when um did we talk about the born statement or no i can't remember if that was the no last that podcast. came out um that came out after last podcast okay so yeah so he Born that was a weird statement. statement. Does it, well, it didn't make any sense that they even really released one, in my opinion. But I think the statement was basically like, we're not going to fire Roe midseason. This is not what he actually said, but that's like reading between the lines. Um, <laughs> but unless something like drastically changes, they'll probably make a move at the end of the season. That's at least what I got out of it. Yeah, that actually came out. It came out on Friday. Okay. After the national game, the CBS Sports right, Network it was game. After- <laughs> which to me, I think that was really why, like, it was the quote unquote national game. So you would think in theory, more fans were able to catch it. I feel um, like they might put though. Yeah. Like if they, how it, many it, it was also just that was like ten. seven in a row. Yeah. It was seven in a but row. Then, it was yeah, a I terrible think terrible showing. The, like right. kind of it was a perfect just storm. Yeah. And everything yeah. there. And then I think, I mean, you even looked at the, um, you looked at face JMU nation and just Twitter itself. And everyone was calling to fire row at that point. So I think Mm Bourne kind of did have to get out and be like, look, we're not going to do this. Like you can kind of chill on that talk, but don't throw away hope because if things don't turn around, yeah, we'll probably listen to you guys. Not that we're (laughs) listening to you. Not that like you're affecting the outcome, but like don't, don't lose all hope if we finish not winning another game. Don't think we're going to bring in this guy again next season. Yeah. And I think that for me, my take was that like when you have an NBA assistant on the bench, you should at least consider moving on. But the other perspective, I was talking to somebody the other day and they mentioned um, if you do move on from row and you're looking to hire someone else, it's certainly bad optics. If you have an alumnus that you fire midway through a season, (laughs) Um, that definitely gives sort of, Sort of pause for anyone who's interested in maybe taking over the job after that to be like, oh, I mean, you did him like that. Like, what are you going to do if I didn't go to JMU or something like that? So I think um, that's a good point as well, that there's an element of loyalty here. Um, changing coaches, JMU is not going to become like a quality mid-major in two weeks. Yeah, They've got a long way to go in terms of recruiting, in terms of building a winning culture, building a winning tradition. Um, so at this point, yeah, just I guess it makes sense. Lock in for the row era and then try to rebuild with the new arena and, and new coaches, unless they go on some sort of run, which I, I don't think will happen, but you can never really rule it out because the conference is not very good. No, it's, it's not the best player in the conference. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring and say, Grant Riller should He's be CA player of the year. Um, but even so like this, this isn't a fantastic 
conference. This is a lower mid-major conference. And it's sad to see what the CAA was at one point when they had VCU and George Mason and I believe Richmond in the basketball world at one point. Like the CAA was great. And then now slowly but surely you've lost them and you've replaced them with lesser teams. It's it's interesting too when you look at the whole row era and just the conference in general. They most teams tend to have like I think people talk about JMU's town a lot, but when you look at it, at least for some of the teams and some of the games, like the best player is very clearly not on JMU's roster. You know what I mean? Like when you watch College of Charleston, like Grant Riller, you cannot make an argument that anyone else <laughs> in the game is better than he is. Yeah, like and you, I mean, you go to like William and Mary, Nathan Knight's the best <laughs> player on the court for William and Mary. You go to Northeastern, I would say that Jordan Rowland is probably the best player on the court, you know, in most of the games, or at least any of the games between JMU and Northeastern yeah. and some of the other teams you can make a case of, like, Matt Lewis or Darius Banks. But the idea that JMU's, like, talent is so much superior to other teams, I was just thinking about it the other day because I went to the College of Charleston game, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that's really true because, like, you watch all these games, and you're like, all right, let's figure out the single best player on the court. And there's at least three teams, um, and you can make an argument for more, you know, that have – the best player on the court that is not Jamie's player. So I think that's maybe tells you a little bit about Rose recruiting, just that it's been pretty solid. Like they're better than most of the, the bottom half of the league and they shouldn't be a bottom half of the league team, but they're also not landing guys that are conference player of the year candidates really. Yeah. And like, they don't even have people to defend against these fantastic players that they're playing against. Like you knew what was coming down the court against in the college Charleston game. You knew Grant Riller was going to get the three, a little bit of a pick, try to create separation. He's going to put up a fantastic <laughs> yeah. shot. And JMU's defense just couldn't – like you knew it was coming, and they just couldn't do anything about it. I've seen it time and time again in games too where teams figure out what JMU can't defend, and then they'll just continuously hit that, and JMU just can't make in-game adjustments to fix it. They couldn't, they couldn't handle the, the screen at the top of the key against yeah, Charleston. They, Oh, yeah, they really couldn't. It was kind of sad to to see because they were basically just running like a, a pick and roll kind of thing. But most of the time they didn't even have to roll because there'd be so much separation <laughs> for Riller. He'd just pull up and so the, they just give him a screen. He'd have five feet of space and he'd bury a shot. It was ridiculous. And the announcers were just funny because the whole time they're like, you have to you. They're like, Riller's going to hit it with the hand in his face, but you at least have to put the hand in his face. Right. You've got to give him some sort of contest to try to get, you know, break him out of his rhythm. I don't know. It was also fascinating to me because they were down 59 to 51 in that game. Darius Banks hit a three off a pass from Wilson to cut it to five midway through the second half. And they were pretty pumped. They were celebrating high five and stoked. You could tell that they thought they were getting back in the game and and really excited. And then Charleston reeled off like a 17 to four run or something to just blow them out of the water. And it was like that kind of thing where. Charleston was just sort of slowly going down, making shots and methodically winning. And JMU hit a shot to go down five and seemed like they might've just won like the national championship. They didn't accelerate that much, but they, like, they were, they were <laughs> they maybe, more excited, yes! maybe, maybe more excited than they should have been. And it's like, there's a, I mean, I think you can, you certainly want to enjoy like the environment. There's no problem with celebrating, but when you're like some of the celebrations where you're like putting three to like the top of your head and all this stuff, when you're down five, one and nine at home, in the league. Like, I don't know. At some point you think they would just, just play and be like, you know what? We've really got to work to get these wins. Cause we're getting blown out and maybe we don't need to like flex in someone's face down 18. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe um, 
hit the three to to tie it or to take the lead, and then that celebration's completely called for. But you're still down five. Stand up, hit the three, clap a little bit, sit back down, and get and get set defensively. Because um, yeah, I, I know <laughs> not, what you mean. Like like don't... I'm not normally like a celebration person either, where I like complain about celebrations because I think you should be able to celebrate. It's just me when you're like, I don't know. I think JMU at times like you can see elements of like a losing culture where they're down whatever they are and they're still celebrating like they just had some huge thing where they just cut a deficit to 12 and they're acting like they, you know, did something incredible where yeah. I think that other teams in the league, Charleston, the only time I saw Grant Riller celebrate is when he threw a filthy pass at the end of the game to put him up like 17 with 30 seconds <laughs> left. And he just like screamed at his bench. And I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Can we have Grant so that, Riller on our team? <laughs> <laughs> basically. No, but that's basically, I don't know. I think that there's a little bit of a losing culture. So to get the UNCW win is helpful. And I don't know, I think if they can rattle off a few, they could certainly sort of change the, the culture in the way that they, you know, not the culture, but they could change the vibe within the locker room and sort of understand what it takes to win and see some winning plays on film. The issue is that they've had gone three and a half years without any stretches of winning. <laughs> so I don't expect it to change, even though I guess we'll say it until the season ends that the, the schedule sets up nicely for him, Jack. That it does, but I would not be surprised if they went on another nine-game losing streak. Do because you think? I mean, I could. All I could these see teams, going. all these teams that they've played, they've already lost to this season. <laughs> like, think about that. Think about that. That's the saddest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> they literally already. They've so they they're owing you again. They, they oh lost. yeah, because they're they're flipping back, right? So they're doing the rest of it. Yeah. That's savage, man. So they've right. lost. They're 0 and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, oh, and 9 against them, 6, right? 0 and 7 against their upcoming seven opponents. Oh, yeah, there's only seven left because they've already lost to <laughs> some people twice, right? Yep. College of Charleston already beat them twice. Yep. Um, <laughs> everyone else hasn't beaten them twice because Goodness they've gracious. beaten UNCW twice. I, this is really a mumbled, like, Mess this of is what we're crazy, talking though. about right now, but they are zero and seven against their upcoming team. They're also so don't they be tend surprised. to be they tend to be a rather poor road team, and the next two games are on the road. So we're talking about how the schedule sets up nice, nicely with Drexel and Delaware. Any team they play on the road, it and, does not set up nicely. So and Delaware <laughs> so. is like not to be slept on. Like they had a pretty no. solid start in the non-con. They've kind of fallen yeah. off a little bit here in conference play, but like they're low key a dark horse to make a CAA championship run. Um, yeah. in my opinion. So I don't think that Delaware game's easy. Elon's trash, but apparently they want to play well against JMU. Like, look you at it. You think the home... Towson's, yeah, a, Towson's a top half team. Um, you think Nathan the home Knight. Elon game would be a win, you hope. You, I don't. I think there's Nathan a chance. I think up. there's a good chance they go 1-6 or 0-7 the rest of the way. I agree. I agree, and I think that'd be the first time in school history where they would lose both games to every single conference opponent except for one. That was a really big qualifier, but I think that's our listeners hilarious. know I, what That's I probably mean. right. Like, that bad of a lose. Like, their two wins were against the same team, so they were – damn. I, I can't even, like, put into words what I'm thinking, but I, I think people saying. are getting what I'm saying. And, I, and as long as you do, that's all that matters. Um, yeah, that's about all I have on men's basketball, though. Do you have anything else to kind of add in? No, we've we've team. said so much about what they've done and what they can't do that I think at this point we'll just sit and watch the rest of the way and whatever happens, happens. And continue to talk about it every week about what we saw. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, moving into what normally is like our happy period on the podcast. I don't think it really is this time around. What happened to women's basketball? Well, I will say that Drexel's a very good team. So they lost to a team that's currently leading the conference. But man, they didn't just lose. They got blown out. And it was another one of those like terrible stretches offensively. So they lost 70 to 48 on the road to Drexel, which is bad. Um, for a few reasons, but they scored five first quarter points. They're down 18 to five after the first quarter as a team, they shot 29% overall 24% from three. They turned the ball over 12 times, only had four assists. They weren't great defensively, um, gave up almost 50% shooting. It was bad. Like they gave up 20 assists. Like it was bad on both ends and stunning for a JMU team. And, We've said it before, and now you can really say it, that the at-large is very much out the window. There's absolutely no chance they get an at-large. And I don't know. I kind of feel like this season is going to be disappointing if they don't win the conference tournament. Yeah, if they don't win the conference tournament, you kind of look back at their games and you're like – and we say it every, every week, it feels like. You just you, – you play the what-if game with this team. What if they mm-hmm. beat Maryland? What if they had a good showing at the UVA tournament? What if they didn't lose to Towson? What if they didn't get blown out by Drexel? Like – it just keeps adding up where it's like we know the what 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 how great this team can be and it just seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot i mean they're 7 and 2 in the caa they're not even the one seed in the caa right now but i mean you look at them on paper and even in practice and like in person they're the best team in the conference they just have these random dry spells that ends up having them get blown out to a Drexel team that when I saw this graphic posted, I thought for sure it was a, uh, a typo and that we beat them 70 to 48. It's wild. And Drexel's pretty, pretty darn good, but it's a team that JMU with the experience JMU has should be able to beat. You look at Bailey Greenberg is really the number one option for Drexel. She played every minute in the game and scored 18. She's really good. Um, and then they had, they had Washington for them scored 27, which I think is maybe a little uncharacteristic. She was really hot from the field, but when you've got mostly one player to lock down and she's still able to, you know, score 18, she wasn't particularly effective from the field, but she scores 18, her teammates go off. Gets and to the free throw line of, five times. Ooh. Yeah. And you can't get any of your stars to really fight back. You look at Lexi Barrier had three, Kamaya Smalls had 11, Jackie Benitez had 13, but on 16 shot attempts, including 12 from three. When I mean, when you have your best players going up against a team that also has competitive top options but you assume that you've got you know three or four when drexel might have one or two main weapons and not any of your four can do anything that's got to be at least a little alarming yeah very alarming i i didn't watch the game so i don't know if drexel's defense was just amazing or what but normally this is a game where like you would expect kamai to kind of just say like step back i got this like we're struggling right. right now, but like, don't worry. I can, I'll, I'll work my magic. And she only had 11 points on eight. She was three of eight. She only shot eight times from the field, which is kind of a low number for a game like this. I mean, but she played 33 minutes. As like, you just look at this box score and you just have questions kind of across the board. They didn't rebound. Well, they didn't, you just look, they didn't get a good, ass- <laughs> they had four assists, 12 turnovers. Like, uh, just a bad showing. Just all a around. bad game. I think 
I think one of the more alarming parts, maybe to me, and I don't know about alarming, but I think they need to sort of rethink a little bit how they do some things. I mean, you can't Lexi Barrier and Kamaya Smalls combined for 16 shots and Jackie Benitez took 16. Like I know that Jackie Benitez is like a green light. If the shots open, I'm taking it player, but you can't have her taking as many shots as Smalls and Barrier combined. Yeah. In my opinion, I think you need Kamaya as the player. If you want to have somebody shoot twice as much as any other player, you got to think it's Kamaya. I know that's not really her game because she, she's very um, smart about what shot she takes and things like that. And, and cognizant of what's going on on the floor and those things. But at some point, if you're in a game like this and you can't score, you got to just give it to Kamaya and say, all right, you're shooting this possession. Yeah. And it, it kind of seems like in these, in the games where JMU struggles, it comes down to Jackie. And if she struggled. Yeah. I mean, well, if you're taking <laughs> that many attempts, like six, that's a lot of field goal attempts. Like that's a lot. And especially when no one else had double-digit field goal attempts, I feel like you kind of have to scale it back a little bit. And yeah, like you said, she does have the green light at all times, but sometimes make that extra pass. Sometimes two points are better than three. Sometimes try to get into Kayla, who can kind of back down in the post and get that easy two compared to the the less likely three type of thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they got down early and some of it was was Kamaya didn't take early shots, and some of it was Jackie taking early shots, and some of it was just the defense wasn't really that good. I mean, they gave up a lot of points in some yeah. of those quarters. 18 and a quarter is a lot for JMU, and then you look at the fourth quarter, they gave up 26. Yeah, and so especially that's... in the fourth when you're trying to come back. Because at that point, exactly. they had cut the lead pretty well. Exactly. What, they end up losing by 22, and they were outscored by 15, so what, they're down seven? Yeah, like, is that right? yeah so you're, you're coming into that quarter if you're JMU, and you're like, all right, this is the time. Like, you got a chance to win. Our bad first quarter aside, we were down 13, but we two, four, things are coming back. And then all of a sudden you get outscored 26 to 11. Yeah, so it's it's tough. It's confusing. I know Reagan at the O'Neill's pressure talked about how the team shoots a lot of threes and that when that doesn't go well, it's obviously easier for things to spiral, which is certainly fair. And he also talked about, you know, just needing better intensity and things like that. And how they'll hope to learn from it and also sort of flush it down the toilet. I don't think that JMU is 22 points worse than Drexel. Oh, no. I don't really think JMU is even worse than Drexel. Um, but it's definitely an alarming defeat. And his point about three-pointers is interesting because some of the JMU teams in the past, and not really in recent memory, but some of the teams um, a few years back had players in the post that they could feed and get the ball to. And Kayla Cooper-Williams is not a scorer, right? She's a really good rebounder, incredible shot blocker. She's just great defensively. And she can score at times, but she's not the type of player you can post up, throw the ball to, and have her score. And Devin Merritt isn't really either because Devin Merritt is more of a um, – she can shoot, like, jumpers around the paint and occasionally go in the paint and score. Um, but they're a guard-heavy team, and I think that that can hurt them at times is that when they're struggling to score, they can't say, you know what, let's throw it in the post. Like, even Jamie men's basketball can throw it to Dwight Wilson and try to get an easy basket, whereas JMU, if they're not hitting jumpers, they're, they're not that good. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I never really thought of it. it yeah, <laughs> that's all I, I mean, that, it's true. They're so guard heavy that when your jumper isn't falling on a night, you're going to lose the game. Especially against a good team. And that's, that's what's definitely alarming. Because they've had a few games where they didn't shoot too well. Like they beat UCF 46 to 43 because the defense was so sound. And I think that's what Jamie needs to get back to is they need the shooting to improve a bit. They need the, the guards to play well. And they need the defense to be really strong if they want to hit that sweet 16 potential that we've talked about this year. 
it's going to be because the guards play well. Kamaya Smalls, Jackie Benitez, Lexi Barrier shoot well. They get some good stuff from Kiki Jefferson and Kayla Cooper-Williams. And then the defense all around is keeping a team probably below 70, maybe even below 60, depending on the opponent. That's sort of how JMU has to win. It's with guards and defense. And against Drexel, they didn't have either. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do think it's not time to kind of step back and, and sound the alarm. I think there is still sweet 16 potential with this team. I just For think, sure. I think they did have a really bad shooting night. Um, and there's a lot of question marks now that we didn't really think of. Like they were kind of buried coming into this game and this just kind of unearths them. But I don't think you're going to get a lot of games where JMU's guards and defense don't play well. Like, I, I just don't think that's going to happen another time this season. Yeah, I mean, we look at some of the other wins that they've had and how dominant they've been. I think this is more of a... This is the outlier. For sure. And I it's think a scary outlier. It does help, too, that now they're going home for three consecutive games where they tend to play very well. They're playing, starting with a, a Sunday game at Towson. They don't have a Friday game, which I think is probably a little bit helpful for them. So they play Towson, who they lost to earlier this year in a game that I'm sure they're pissed about. So you'll get to see sort of a response there. If they're able to respond here, rattle off three victories, including a blowout over Towson, I think then they're right back where they need to be. And then a couple weeks down the road, Drexel comes to Harrisonburg February 28th for a huge matchup. And I think we'll learn about the team then. I wouldn't panic too much, definitely alarming, but I think it also might light a fire under them because at times they look, I don't want to say bored, but over the last few years in the regular season, they've been so dominant that I think sometimes they, they do get a little bored. Yeah, and, and every year it's kind of we go and come into conference play and we're like, they're going to sweep conference play. And they finish right. with like one or two losses. And you always look at those mm-hmm. losses and they're never like close, bite your nail, like they lost on a last second shot type of thing. They did this year. As I say that, I realize they... But they were getting blown out in that game. Yeah, and it, it's normally like, it, it almost seems like a lackadaisical effort where they come out yes. and they're like, uh, and it normally happens... It kind of is always at beginning of the conference and then near the end of conference play. Like the middle, they're fine, but at the beginning, things just are rolling so smoothly for them. And then at the end, I think they're just, just like, man, we've we've cruised through this. Every year, it's kind of the same thing where they're they're talented enough and they really should win every single game. Um, but it just comes down to a couple lackadaisical efforts here and there where stuff just doesn't go for them, and then they have two conference losses and sometimes. Like when there's a Drexel in the CAA, they fall to this two seed in the championship. Yeah, it's tough. So I think for them, just find ways to rally. And then, you know, the at-large is out of the table. So just win as many as you can. Try to be playing the right way when you go into the conference tournament. And it's going to be a stressful conference tournament, I think, because there's a lot of pressure on them to make the NCAA tournament. And now we've seen that Drexel is capable of not just beating Jamie, but really kind of dominating at times. There's got to be some pressure there to, to really lock in the rest of the way. So it's it adds intrigue, if nothing else, for the rest of the season for the women's team. Yeah, I'm excited for the CA tournament for this team, though. Like, Me too. Very excited for it. Because I think it's going to come down to them and Drexel at the end, and that's going to be a fun game. Especially if Jamie is able to beat Drexel and they split in the regular season, and then they go into the conference tournament with sort of that third game to decide it all. That'd be <laughs> quite a blast. Yes. You know what else is going to be quite a blast this season? Women's lacrosse. Yes. I guess lacrosse. Yes. They come in ranked number 17 in the nation, according to that really long acronym. They start (laughs) game. They start play this Saturday against number two. 
Oh, Ooh, that was a good stretch. North what Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. <laughs> That was a really good stretch. It just kind of like came over me. Sorry about that. North Carolina comes to Harrisonburg, Virginia. They start the season off with two ranked opponents coming out February 13th. We're looking back at this lacrosse team. What do we say on February 13th after facing number two, North Carolina, number 23, Virginia Tech? I think they'll be one and one. I think they'll probably lose to UNC, but I think they have a good chance of beating Tech. Um, and I'm basing that on partially the rankings and also <laughs> partially just like what I've seen from Carolina in the past. And there's yeah. tends to be a difference between like a number two and a number 17 kind of team. Um, but I think they're going to be good again. I think they're actually, I would say that they might, I thought last year they were overrated in the polls. I think they came in as like a top five team because they won the national championship the year prior, but they didn't, but they had lost half at, of their goals or three quarters yeah, of I their goals. I didn't think that was a top five team. And then you look this year, I think they're gonna be pretty good. I think they're going to be really good, just mostly because of what they have on defense. Got some really good defenders. Got talent in, in goal. Uh, I just I don't very know, I like talented the team. goalie. Yeah, Molly Doherty is <laughs> is very good. Um, who else? They have Kay Chikoski is one that I think is kind of underrated at, at attack. Uh, really highly recruited. She's a junior now. Did some good things her freshman year. Did some more things her sophomore <laughs> year. I think she's sort of ready to take on a bigger role. And I think that combined with with Maddie McDaniel. I don't know, man. I like this team. Yeah, this team, I'm not saying it is like the 2018 national championship team. Mm-hmm. Is that Was that the right year? Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of, there's similarities to me where it's a lot of seniors, if I'm not mistaken, I'm kind of scrolling through the roster. But they got it, some good seniors. It, it's a team that's also been together and has played together through a couple of years now. And I think there's a lot of like potential for them to kind of shock some people granted on February 13th. I do think they'll um, be one and one. I think like you said, that drop off from one to 17 and women's lacrosse is kind of big, but I think this team is going to make a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament near the end of the season. I know it's so far off, but I do like their chances. So many great defenders and so many really solid senior attackers. Yeah, it's just like that crazy talent. I didn't even mention Emma Johnson as a defender. She's incredibly good and has gotten a lot of accolades over the years. They're good. I mean, they're really good. And I don't know if they're necessarily like a national title team, but I think that the sooner we get away from like expecting national titles out of the lacrosse team, just because they have the one in 28, like it's really hard to win national titles. Yeah, I don't think, Um, I don't think we should expect that at all. Like, no. Because that was a run that was almost unprecedented. Like they took down like storied programs. Yeah. It came together so beautifully. Yeah. The team was absolutely loaded. I think that you should expect the team to make the NCAA tournament every year. And then every couple of years make a run. That's like fringe final four. And I think that the more they do that, the more they add recruits, I think that they'll have a chance to at least contend for national titles, but I don't know if that's the expectation this year, but it's an exciting team that has a ton of potential and is really good. The schedule is loaded. It's exciting. I'm just excited for spring sports, I think, man. you got softball coming, baseball coming, lacrosse. It's good. And then you've obviously got the conference tournaments for basketball. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Men can lose immediately, and the women can hopefully win the whole thing. Or break our heart. Yeah, that that is also a very real possibility. But it is good to have lacrosse coming back. Yeah, I'm excited to follow along with them, watch the games I can, 
same with mm-hmm. baseball and softball. Like there's just so much of it though that it's, it seems like it's always it's hard happening. To a lot of it, yeah, yeah. And it's kind of and men's to... golf is coming. Oh my lord! <laughs> Tell your friends February fourteenth, folks. UNCG Martin Downs Collegiate in Palm City, Florida. The boys will be there. Will you? I'll be there as well. Taking off work for all their tournaments every weekend. Receiving votes in the national coaches poll too is men's golf. Really? Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> what? Did that come out today? I don't know. It was on their front. <laughs> I page. hope it's not. Oh, I, I bet it's so long ago. And I'm just like. <laughs> Well, regardless, that's huge for me. That's huge to <laughs> for me. For you, for you, that's <laughs> yeah. huge for me. Oh, they. Uh, oh, that was from November. That's November. Here I am in February. What? <laughs> no way. Breaking. Should I do that? Should, should I tweet that out? Breaking. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe I'll do that. Breaking from November. I, I did finally watch that um, golf video. Hype, man. The... It's them doing like a pretty basic lift. <laughs> and then they're just like eating cliff bars. And, and then they're, they're like, like, this is our locker room where we have a PlayStation and this huge comfy couch. And we come here to hang out. I played golf in high school. We would go to it. We went to a driving range. And after we would hit, there was also ice cream there. We'd always get ice cream. And we would do that like in the summer when the football team was doing like two days and puking. We're like, we'll have a <laughs> chocolate covered cone. <laughs> Cookie dough. <laughs> so uh, the life of a golfer, man. That video is amazing, though. It's just basically them. Like sometimes we go in here to like squat a little bit and then we'll and then we'll leave and eat food. And then we'll play golf, and then we'll play PlayStation. And, and then here's our hot tub and ice bath. And I was just thinking, when do that you ever use best. an ice bath? That was the best. Like, we'll just go in the hot tub for, like, you know, a couple hours with a couple <laughs> couple beers. <laughs> they didn't actually say that. <laughs> but they are living the dream. I was just the entire video. I was like, I'm so jealous of you. Why didn't I play college golf? Why didn't I? Why didn't I? Walk? <laughs> Must have been my ability. <laughs> <laughs> no, that couldn't have been it. You're a fantastic golfer. I've never seen you golf, but I assume. Thanks, man. It's all about focus and sticking to my routine and, you know, flighting the ball. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure you just said buzzwords right there. I did. They're starting soon, which is exciting. Women's golf, I imagine, will also start soon. There's a lot going on. I like the spring season. I'm also – I haven't allowed myself to fully freak out yet, but I'm very much excited for softball. I think I'll save that, like, freak out for next podcast. But okay. uh, they've they've got multiple games on ESPN three to open the season. Yeah, they are also good. I just want to throw this little disclaimer out before we really get into the meat of spring season. Mostly, when I'm doing spring stuff, it's more of like reactionary and reading things more so than watching it because, like we said, it's just so hard to ingest it all. Um, this is true. So I'll be kind of leaning on Bennett more so because I feel like he's going to watch like all of the softball. <laughs> so I'm going to be the like softball. I don't know, man. I'm excited about this team. I'm excited about baseball. Players. Baseball is interesting because they should be better. Do you see what they were doing with um? And I guess we can talk more about this next week. But it looks like they're moving Trey Dabney to the outfield, and they're shifting because they're getting Josh Jones back. He was academically ineligible last year, so I guess he redshirted. But he's getting back. He'll play like short or third or something, 
They moved someone else to third. I don't remember exactly who was playing third and short, but they're having new Trey people in the infield. But they're moving him to the outfield. What is, they're taking him. Is he going to go to right field then? I don't know. Somewhere in the outfield. Probably not center. I can guarantee it's not center. But isn't that exciting? This team should be loaded, and they should be really good, and they showed great flashes. And they have young talent. They have young talent. Their pitching staff, I'm going to kind of – people are. Fox Simonis is still on the team? (laughs) Is he really? I guess he's a senior. God, I thought he was a redshirt senior last year. (laughs) Uh, He was a junior last year. Okay, Okay, so that's what it is. He's probably playing – does he play second or short? Fox was uh, you like kind of just throw him out wherever. There, I think so he'll he play second. He'll, maybe he'll play second. They'll have like Jones at short. Jones at short. I can't remember exactly who they put in third then, but whatever it is, they've. I mean, they've got some talent on this team. They need to deliver. Yeah, but yeah, people are really high on their like pitching staff too this season coming into it. Really, I think Stewart's well, a pretty good pitcher. Yeah, and and I think they still have Matt Marsilli. They have Brett Ayer. Um, Piccolino, I'm kind of scrolling through. Like they do have good arms um, on that staff, but they're How lost. Sorting these names. Show Walter. Um, oh my number. <laughs> oh my god. But like <laughs> I was like, this is not alphabetical. They did lose a couple big time pitchers to the draft with Shelton Perkins and Robertson. Yes. And one another. So they lost a couple really good but like, veteran dudes arms, here so. that are dogs, man. They are scrappy dogs, as I like to say. They're going to compete. We're going to outcompete you. Then we're going to beat you. And then we're going to hit home runs. And I think Jamie's going to win the national championship. You heard it here, folks, guys. You heard <laughs> it here first. Folks. Do we think this could, <laughs> could be a team that gets close to 40 wins? What'd they, what'd they have last season? Well, what they have last season? Let's see. They had thirty-one last season. Yeah, they Why should. They, in... they should get. Th- they should get forty wins this season. So under Eichenberry, they've gone 24, 24, 26, 31. Is it? I think. I would say thirty-five is like at least what they're shooting for. We'll end it on this hot take from Jack. Is Eichenberry seat warming up? I don't know. I think they want some more wins. I think they need another year where they improve and maybe contend in the conference. Because Harrisonburg's, we've talked about this before because we are Harrisonburg hungry interns. This is a baseball loving town, man. If they love good baseball, and even look at what softball brings in, exactly. Like they just love these ball and bat sports and and dirt. And (laughs) Harrisonburg loves dirt. Well, but and also they, the Valley is such like a hotbed for great baseball players. Yeah. And, like baseball got, programs. You've got the Valley League. You've got some tradition there. You've got some really talented teams. And, and if I can get it, if I can can't, can't get it done, you've got Bob Weiss right there. <laughs> On that note, for <laughs> Bennett Conlin, <laughs> my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest. What's today? Tuesday? Rest of your Wednesday. Or Tuesday if you're listening to it, because I don't know when this will come up, honestly. Um, Yeah, see ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.